Welcome to Building the Future. I'm your host, Kevin Horick. You can check out the radio version of the show every Tuesdays and Thursdays at 2 p.m. Eastern on WDJY 99.1 in Atlanta. We also air on a podcasting network in Los Angeles called the 405 Media. There's a TV version of the show that airs on KMVT 15 in Silicon Valley at 8 p.m. Pacific on Tuesday nights. Both versions of the show air in other states. For these show times plus past episodes, please visit the show's website at buildingthefutureshow.com. The music for the show is done by Electric Mantra. You can check them out at electricmantra.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Carl Monger. He's the founder and executive director at Gallant Few. Carl, welcome to the show. Thank you, Kevin. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, you, you've you had, well, you are and have had kind of a really interesting kind of career, but maybe before we kind of get into all the stuff you're doing now, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up. Kind of all over. I was uh, originally a military brat. I was born in Germany in Heidelberg. Okay, interesting. And... Uh, yeah, and, and uh, from there, we went to the Fort Riley, Kansas area. Okay. And one of the first things that ultimately, believe it or not, led into what I'm doing now happened when I was four years old and my father walked out on our family. Oh, wow. And uh, he ultimately retired as a sergeant major in the Army, and I had zero contact with him from the age of four until I was 19. Wow. And uh, I was very fortunate in that I had a great-grandfather on my mother's side my grandfather on my father's side was a three-war combat infantryman wow. or to Korea and Vietnam, and I never met him. He died alone, an alcoholic in a men's shelter in Denver in 1977. And another one of the things that motivates me to do what I do now, because as I've looked back over my life and I've researched my ancestors, I believe that my grandfather on my father's side probably had post-traumatic stress and a traumatic brain injury. And his alcoholism clearly poisoned the relationship with his son, and that followed through him right down to my family, I believe. And my father was an alcoholic, and I have to, I have to be careful, you know, that uh, that I don't slip into that as well. So it's something that's always in the back of my mind. Uh, but uh, I was fortunate in that 1968-69 time frame. I was one of the first boys that was brought into a brand new program called Big Brothers. Okay. And I got matched with uh, with an attorney in Wichita, Kansas. And he came and picked me up in a white convertible Stingray Corvette. Okay. And uh, and that was a big deal. Sure. That's a beautiful car, too. <laughs> Gorgeous car, yeah. And, and uh, my mom was teaching during the day and going to school at night to try to get her degree. And it was a struggle. I had two younger sisters. One sure. of them was not born when my father left. And so I became the man of the house pretty early. Wow. And that uh, experience being mentored stayed with me. And that's another thing that has led into what I do now. When I got into college, I had no intention of going to the Army. My mom steered me as far away from that as possible. Okay. And I, uh, as soon as I turned 18, I became a mentor for an at-risk youth. So I've done that a number of times in my life. And uh, I got tricked into uh, an ROTC class that was marketed as a marksmanship class. Okay. And me being an ignorant young college student, uh, I was looking for an easy A. I thought, yeah, I can get an A in that class. And the engineering classes I was taking were kind of tough. And uh, lo and behold, it was a it was an ROTC class. And the 
professor of military science was a uh, he looked like a John Wayne out of a movie character. He was six foot one and had kind of a handlebar mustache. He was a Green Beret paratrooper, had a Ranger tab, wow. just all of the things that anybody's going to look up to. Sure. And he stroked my ego after about six months. He pulled me in and he said, hey, I want you to apply for a scholarship. So I did. And the Army paid for the last three years of my college. And I owed them six years back. Okay. I ended up giving them 10. And uh, so I, I went on active duty in 1983. And I, I went for all the hard stuff. I was an infantry officer, jumped out of airplanes, served in a ranger battalion wow. and uh, during Desert Storm. And I uh, got a, a parachute jump into a combat zone in Kuwait at the end phases of Desert Storm. It was not, there was nobody shooting at us. It was just like another training exercise for us. But I got credit with a combat deployment with the Ranger Battalion, which I'm very proud of. Sure, yeah. Well, and, thanks for uh, your service. Well, I appreciate that. Thing. One of the things that uh, when I talk to veterans, yeah, I don't like to say thanks for your service because okay. it can kind of make you feel a little awkward. Okay. What I say is thanks for my freedom. Yeah, fair. No, so, that's a way better way to know, put it. Sure. Yeah, because when somebody tells me thanks for your service, I'm kind of like, well, you're welcome, you know kind of maybe a little uncomfortable when you say thanks for my freedom i'm like hell yeah <laughs> yeah okay no that's that's good to know i never thought of it like that but that's good to know that's just me uh, no, others sure. may like the other but, sure uh, okay so we we had a, a defining event that happened in october of 1992 we were rehearsing a special operations mission and an air force black hawk crashed into the great salt lake we were heading off to dugway proving ground to uh to do a big airfield seizure operation. And uh, that when that helicopter went into the Great Salt Lake, it killed 12 out of 13. Only the pilots survived. Wow. And there were two Ranger Battalion commanders, a Ranger First Sergeant, two Ranger um, communications experts, and five Air Force combat controllers on board. And that, that took a swath out of the special operations community in leadership. Sure. And these were men that were right above the McChrystal level. So okay. who knows? What, what does that mean for people that killed. don't know what that means? So, so when you think about the leaders that took us into Iraq and Afghanistan, okay, and there were some brilliant things done, but there were some mistakes made. Sure. And two of the two of the best army leaders that would have been in a position to influence that were killed on that same helicopter and one air force leader that was their equivalent. So there, there was, um, you can what if things all day long, Sure. but they certainly would have been contributors to the defense of our country going forward. And, uh, that, that event set in motion, a series of events that the following summer led me to leave active duty. Okay. And when I left, uh, July of 1993, when you're a, a captain in a ranger battalion, you don't just leave the army. I mean, that's, that's something that, uh, it was an excruciating decision for me to make personally. Okay. I lost the opportunity to do a job that I wanted to have through that process. And, uh, as I left, it was an experience that a lot of soldiers and people from other branches of the service go through yet today because you quit on your team. And you know uh, that you. You, you've been in this great organization. I mean, think about a a uh, 
professional football player that has made it to the starting ranks that just one day says, you know what, I'm done. I'm going to go find something else to do. That just that doesn't happen unless they're injured or something. Right. And, uh, and, and so I stepped out and I had decided to put my family in front of my military career and uh, my two young daughters. You know, I, I grew up pretty much without a dad and I had a great stepdad that went in my teen years, but I didn't want them to have that same kind of experience. Sure. So as I go back to Wichita, Kansas, which is where we mostly grew up. My, my uh, then wife's parents, grandparents were still alive. So, and my parents and grandparents on my mother's side were there. Um, uh, I thought, you know, this would be a great opportunity for my kids to know their great grandparents because I, I didn't even know one of my grandparents. Right. So that, uh, and I never knew any of my greats. So that was, it was an opportunity for me to kind of put the family back together because the 10 years that I served on active duty, I was gone a lot. And so I go back to Wichita, Kansas. And I'm, I think I represent the entire package that any company would want. I'm prepared to walk in and take over and run their company to achieve great things. And I can't get anybody to give me a second look. Interesting. I had an interview with one of the largest privately held companies in the United States that's headquartered there. Okay. And their human resource director, she looks at my resume and looked at me and she said, mm, Army officer, you know, you guys are real good at following orders and doing what you're told. But here at this company, we need people that have initiative, think outside the box and don't need constant supervision. And I don't think you could have been more insulting to me. Yeah, so, totally. Uh, yeah, I, I leave there thinking well, I, I've got to find a job because right now we're technically homeless. We're living in my mom's basement. Right. And uh, we don't want to stay there long with my wife and two young girls and uh, got to get health insurance. My my wife didn't have a college degree because she'd been focused on being a military spouse right. to get her into school. How are we going to afford all this stuff? Right. And uh, so there was a little desperation that I went through. And in the early days, I, I took uh, the first job that was offered to me. And it was uh, at a level of authority and responsibility that didn't even register on the scale of what I had in the military. Sure. Very frustrating. Sure. And uh, over the next year and a half, I I was promoted two times in the company, doubled my salary that that brought me about to what I was making when I left active duty. <clears throat> Excuse me, but I was I was on a path because it wasn't the the company's culture and my principles weren't aligning. Things just weren't. They were out of sync. And uh, if I had quit that company and gone on my own to try to find a job. In my ignorance, I would have done the same thing. And I just, I talked to a guy, I talked to a veteran that has a uh, college degree in sociology this morning. He called me from New York and he said, I, I'm really struggling. I need some help because uh, I, his, his story kind of mirrors mine. He took a job with an organization that uh, he really didn't understand the principles. They didn't align with him. He quit after two years and now he can't get anybody to hire him. So he's working in a bar doing odd jobs until he can figure out how to get a job. And this is a, this is a guy that honorably served for years has a couple of combat deployments and a college degree. So, so as I'm going through this process, I had a, a very good friend of mine that I had uh, actually known pre army. We've been friends in high school and college and uh, we both were in ROTC together and we got commissioned on the same day. 
and he had he had a track. He knew what he wanted to do, and then he was going to get out, and he was going to follow his path. I always thought, well, I'm going to stay in the Army until it's not fun anymore, and then I'll figure something else out. So I really didn't have a plan. Well, he went to work for a construction equipment dealer as a service manager, and then he got promoted to a sales guy, and now he is uh, being promoted to run the branch. And he liked to come by and pick me up from my frustrating job and take me to lunch and brag about all the money that he was making and make me jealous. But it was a lot of fun to, to tease him about it. <laughs> and then one day he says, I know you're frustrated where you are. I'm being promoted out of my sales job to run the branch. Would you be willing to come work for me as a sales guy? Okay. And, uh, and I said, holy cow, I don't know anything about sales. I don't know anything about construction equipment. That sounds to me like a recipe for disaster for both of us. And uh, another one of the lessons now that has gone into what we do, he said, you know, I can teach the iron and I can teach the sales, but I can't teach discipline, integrity, and the ability to learn. And you've demonstrated those repeatedly in your military career. Interesting. So he said, if you want to take a chance on this, I will help you through it. And so I did. And okay. over the next 15 years, I, I worked for him, quit on him twice. <laughs> and went to work for other companies. Sure. And uh, one of the times that I quit on him, I, I went and ran the Big Brothers, now Big Sisters agency that I'd been a kid in oh, over 20 cool. years earlier. Interesting. I was the second executive director in the organization. And I, I did that for two years before I went back to construction stuff. Um, and, and the principles of Big Brothers, Big Sisters, and the mentoring has been a constant uh, theme throughout my life. All the nice, the good things that have happened to me has been because someone reached out that didn't have to and said, come here, let me, let me help you walk through this process. And uh, when, when I look in retrospect, those defining moments, if it wasn't for Bill hiring me at that point, I don't know where I'd be today. Sure. So through this process, <clears throat> I had been helping veterans as I ran across them. And, uh, and I always, I always looked for somebody if they needed help, I'd try and reach out and help them. And then I really never reconnected with the Ranger community that I had left. Okay. And then nine 11 happened. Right. And when, when that happened the following October, about a month later, the third Ranger battalion parachuted into Afghanistan. Sure. And, uh, and, and opened our role in the war on terror. Yeah. The man that led them was a colonel named Joe Votel. Okay. And Joe was the guy. I walked into his office uh, in 1993 and said, hey, sir, I'm quitting. I'm leaving the Army. And, uh, and when I saw that he was there, and one of the first things that ran through my head was, man, I'm so jealous. I wish I was there. If I had not left the Army, would I have been there? Would I have been with him? And... I also have to throw in, as I didn't say this before, uh, Somalia Black Hawk Down happened just about three months after I left the Army. Oh, wow. So that set in motion a bunch of emotions and thoughts about, did I do the right thing? Should I have stayed in? Could I have made a difference? And uh, I was still in the reserve system because I had done some Army Reserve things after I left active duty until my back and some other things got in the way. I had surgery and, and prevented me from continuing on. Right. But I still had access to the military email system. So I shot Joe an email that basically said, congratulations. I'm very proud of you. I'm jealous. 
please tell all the boys, you know, how proud I am. Within two days, he answered me. Okay. Sent me an email back, and uh, that opened up a channel of communication between us. And in uh, summer of 2003, he invited me to come to Fort Benning for his change of command. Oh, wow. And I didn't know what my reception was going to be when I got there. But I thought, no, I've got to go. I, w- I want to see this history because these people, have, you know, they're going to be the ones that you read about in the history books. And right. So when I got there, um, not only was I welcomed, but I was welcomed with open arms. He had a seat on the front row next to all the generals and the politicians with my name on it because he wanted me to be there. Wow, that's and awesome. As I, it, it was amazing. It was very, very, it was an honor beyond belief, and it's very humbling, too. But as I saw these men now that I had, a lot of them were still there from 10 years before. Sure. And as I started talking to them about their experiences, they deployed to Afghanistan now several times. And, uh, and when Rangers go, it's very high intensity. And when somebody can't do that anymore, when they're injured or something happens, maybe they have a family situation or they have an alcohol abuse offense or something, they get pulled off of that team in a heartbeat okay. and, and kind of moved off to the side because when your focus is on going to war and, and killing the enemy, if you don't contribute to that effort, you're in the way. Right. And so as I see this, I'm seeing the these guys, they're going through divorces, they're drinking themselves silly at night trying to process things and go to sleep, and and the ones that are leaving are really struggling. So I came back to Wichita, Kansas, with an intention of trying to do something to help. And okay. I reached out to the local VA regional hospital. I reached out to uh, Fort Riley, the Warrior Transition Unit. I reached out to a huge veteran nonprofit and said, here I am. I know now in my career in Wichita, I know bank presidents. I know the Chamber of Commerce president. I know all these people give me veterans that are coming to this community and we will make sure they're taken care of. I couldn't get anybody to call me back except the nonprofit kept sending me uh, letters every day asking me to donate. So very frustrating experience. Mm -hmm. And around that same time, I discovered uh, social media. I went through a divorce and ended up with custody of those uh, two teenage girls and a way that I, stayed in touch with what they were doing was I made them friend me on Facebook, which made them real happy. <laughs> sure. Um, I can imagine. But, <laughs> yeah. But, but then what happens, right? Because the algorithm looks in your emails and it says, Hey, you might know this person. And so I see a ranger on Facebook. So I connect with him and then I see another one and then right. somebody tells me about LinkedIn. And so that process started and I started searching for networking groups for populations of soldiers like Rangers on LinkedIn and Facebook, and they didn't exist at that time. Okay. So I set up one on LinkedIn that was just called U.S. Army Rangers. And over the next five or six years, it built to a thousand guys. Wow. And because I made sure everyone that joined the group was a real Ranger, and we have had some fakers that have tried to get in, and we've had some people overseas try to get in. Um, because everybody knew that I connected and knew everybody else when somebody needed something or they knew a buddy that needed something, they'd reach out to me and say, Hey, do you know somebody in Chicago or Atlanta or Denver? Sure. And I'd look in that network and I would find somebody and I'd get them connected. And if they needed 
a job, I'd say, well, send me your resume. Let me take a look at it because now in, in uh, my role with one of the companies that I worked for, I, I had about an $8 million annual sales uh, income and, and I had about 65 employees. Wow. So I knew what I looked for in an employee and I'd look at these resumes and I'd go, oh my God, who helped you write this resume? And they would say, well, the, the transition assistance program helped me write this resume. And I'd say, okay, let's sit down. Let's, let's talk about how to translate your military skills. Let's talk about what's valuable. Let's first off find where you want to live and what you want to do. And if you want to go to school, let's identify what discipline you want to study. And maybe it's not a good idea for you to go to school immediately. Maybe you need to wait for a year and get a job and kind of get the lay of the land and make sure that's really what you want to do. I, I see a lot of veterans when they leave the military, they have trouble finding a job and they go to their GI bill, which if they're enrolled in school over a certain number of hours, it will pay them a living stipend that's about equivalent to a staff sergeant in the army. So they know they can get money and then they can pay for a place to live. Right. Um, the problem is they go to school to get the money to pay for a place to live, not to get an education. Right. And three or four years later, they've blown the, that resource and they don't have anything to show for it. Right. So, so there's, there's a coaching process that has to go through all of this. So, so as all of this is developing, I've got this idea rolling around in my head that combines what my buddy Bill did with me and Big Brothers Big Sisters and the military system of battle buddies or ranger buddies or swim mates or whatever branch of the service you're in, there is a buddy system. You always have somebody watching your back. Sure. And, you know, if you're, if you're in a two man foxhole, one of you is asleep and one of you is awake. You don't, you don't both go to sleep because that would be bad. But sure. so somebody's always watching when, when you've got to do something. And when you leave active duty, you lose that. And you, you, the nature of somebody that seeks that kind of service is one of self-reliance, I'm going to solve problems. I'm going to you know, suck it up, drive on. You hear that a lot when you're in the military. I don't want to hear your problems. Don't bring that crap to me unless you've got a solution. And, and so you take that attitude into the civilian world and you forget that even though you, you had all that said to you, you still had a buddy that was watching your back. Sure. And you go into the civilian world and you start running into problems with relationships or with the VA and you're self-medicating with alcohol or maybe the VA's over-medicated you with the standard stuff that they give. And, and you're just, you're having trouble, but you're not going to reach out and ask for help because that would admit weakness. That would say that you can't deal with your own situation and you've been trained to deal with whatever comes at you. And, uh, and so that can build and it can build and it can become something that causes people to go into financial distress because they can't keep a hold down a job. Um, it, it destroys relationships because you have a significant other that gets mad because you're drinking all the time because you can't handle the other things. Sure. And, and that taken out to an extreme, you have a veteran that looks back at their life and says that the best thing I ever did, the most purpose I ever felt was when I was in the military and I'm never going to achieve that. So why should I even be here? Oh, and no. that's why some of them take their lives. Wow. That's really sad. And, uh, well, the, the VA says on average that they've gone from 18 to 22. Now they say 20, they did a study over a 14 year period that, they released about a year and a half ago that says on average 20 veterans a day take their own lives. Wow. And that's a, that's an astounding number. If you times 20 by 365, Oh yeah. You get uh, six or 7,000 people. And, 
and for for all when you hear of a tragedy where there's uh, something like the school shooting that just happened and 17 kids tragically yep. uh, and, and adults were killed. And I want to say that's horrible, but 20 veterans are taking their lives every day and nobody even mentions it anywhere. Yeah. It's not it news, be, right? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And, and, uh, but what's really uh, to me astounding when I read it, because I, I would have thought it's young veterans that come back, can't deal with what they've been through and they kill themselves. Uh, over 65% of the veterans that take their own lives are over the age of 50. Wow. So you have I somebody, didn't know that. it takes, yeah, it takes decades to lose your sense of purpose and meaning, to lose hope, to have relationships gone, to get to where there's just nothing left. And, sure. and that doesn't even, I think, count the people that drink themselves to death, <laughs> excuse me, or die in a car crash that might be suicide, but you really don't know. Sure. Yeah. Okay. I see what you mean. Yeah. Like the confirmed, like, yeah. Okay. Right. No, that's interesting. So it could be a lot higher than 20 a day or right. Absolutely. Which is even sadder. Yep. Right. Yeah. Okay. Wow. When I had a very good friend of mine, uh, last year, that West Point graduate, um, he, he and I served together. Phenomenal guy considered him a good friend. And we had kind of fallen out of touch. I, I touched base with him over a year ago when I when I visited where he lived. We had breakfast together. But I was astounded to learn last fall that he jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge. Wow. That's and really he, sad. Had, he had gone through a, a crisis of job loss and a broken relationship, and it was too much for him. Yeah, sorry and, to hear uh, that. So, yeah, yeah, the problem's there. It's real. Oh, yeah. And, uh, well, no, I, yeah. Like, and, and part of me wanting to have you on the show was to kind of obviously talk about your history and, and your story and kind of give some of these kind of shocking statistics. But the real reason I think is all the positive stuff that you're doing for, you know, veterans and, and pretty, well, I think it's more than just that, right? Because I think it's kind of, you're doing stuff for, for society. Yes, you're focusing on veterans, but you're integrating these people back into society, right? Because, it's I've had others kind of on the show before where they they've come from a you know they were in the military or the navy or something like that and it's quite a struggle so walk me through your big thing you're doing right now is this run ranger run what exactly mm -hmm. is it and how did it come to be because I think it's really positive and it's really cool and it's honorable of you to do it yeah thank you so let me back up just one step to tell you Sure. Why we do run Ranger Run. Sure, that's perfect, and man. When, sure, when I, when, as I'm looking at all of this and I'm coming up with this concept, I talked with uh, several folks. One of them was my buddy Bill. Okay. We're having a beer at a restaurant one night, and I said, you know, I'm very frustrated because there's no organization out there that is connecting people locally, that is taking an interest in what they're going through, that is... Uh, helping them understand locally the lay of the land and getting them connected with other people like he did with me to help me get a job. Sure. And he reached into his wallet, pulled out a hundred dollar bill that he always keeps folded behind his driver's license for emergencies. He slid it across the table and he said, there's your first donation. You better get started. Wow. That's really so cool. He, yeah, it was awesome. And he became one of my first board members. He's one of the founding board members of Gallon Few. And we started it originally with the intention of just helping rangers. 
because I'm so close to that population and it's an emotional thing for me. I want to make sure that when a ranger leaves, there's three active duty locations, one in Washington state and two in Georgia, that when they leave one of those locations and they go to, you name the town USA, then they're connected with another ranger immediately that has been out 10, 20, 30 years and now owns their own business or they're a teacher or they're established. So they, they know people, they belong, they belong to chambers of commerce and church groups and things that uh, can help that veteran who has no clue that he or she can go to a Rotary Club breakfast and meet other people locally that are professionals. They don't even know that exists. And, and so as we put this together, um, Bill looks at me and he says, you know, I'm not a ranger. And I said, I know that. I've teased you about it relentlessly. <laughs> and he says, well, what are you going to do for veterans like me? Okay, and interesting. So he immediately challenged me. Yeah, he said, you know, if, if this buddy system works for rangers, why wouldn't it work for me or somebody else? Well, you're absolutely right. He's not a ranger, and he was my mentor, and he helped me. So um, we immediately, within the extent of our capacity, began connecting people from any branch of the service uh, with someone else that's like them wherever they live. And uh, the first year, we became a 501c3 in 2010. We helped a couple of dozen. The next year, it was double that. Then the third year, it was over 100. And then I get, uh, in November of 2011, I get a phone call from an active duty ranger. And he says, hey, I've got a kid that is going through a hard time. He's transitioning on the 1st of January, 2012. Okay. He's got this crazy notion that he's going to run home. And he said, maybe you can help him with his journey. So I get on the phone with a kid named Corey Smith, who was a corporal in the 3rd Ranger Battalion. And I said, hey, Corey, tell me what's going on. And he said, well, I came back from my last combat deployment. And my wife had left me a note and taken our daughter, who was one year old, and went back to Indianapolis. And she basically said, you can be a Ranger or you can be a dad. You pick. And he said, I got no choice. I'm going to be a dad. Sure. So now he has to go through kind of what I went through. He has to go into his unit and say, I quit. Only he knew they were going back to war. So, so it's a, a process now of he's being separated from the unit and it's a sudden separation. Even if you're a great guy, they don't have time for you if you're not going to war with them. So now he, he starts finding time on his hands and he's trying to figure out what to do because he doesn't want to sit in an empty apartment at night. So he puts on his sneakers and he goes out and he starts running. And he starts telling his pastor that he had a dream that he was running and he was telling people about the difficult journey a veteran has to take to go from soldier to civilian. Sure. And the pastor said, well, sounds like God's telling you to do something. So, you know, what can you do with that? So he came up with this idea that he was going to run home. And for him, home was Indianapolis. And at the time, he's stationed in uh, Columbus, Georgia. Okay. And Columbus to Indianapolis is 565 miles. Yeah, it's a, it's a little ways. <laughs> it, it is a little ways. So he's telling me this on the phone. And I said, so tell me your plan. And he said, I'm going to run 20 miles a day till I get there. Interesting. And I said, awesome. What's the rest of your plan? And he said, oh, mom's going to follow me in the car. So as I started asking him about what's your budget for gas, for how much, what are your nutritional needs? Do you have extra sneakers? Where are you going to stay? He really hadn't thought through that. He was just going to take it. And like a lot of veterans, when they transition, they just go and they're going to figure it out on the way. Sure. So I said, you know, we can, 
I think we can uh, use the nonprofit to raise some money. Now, at this point, we've never had more than $10,000 in the bank. So okay. we're very, very small, 100% volunteer. And uh, and I said, but let's set up a Facebook page, and you, are you willing to be vocal about your transition? And he said, yes. Okay. And I said, well, then you have to let us set up stops for you on the way because hey, you need to stop and talk to a radio station or a chamber of commerce or sure. a newspaper. Otherwise, you're just some guy running through town and nobody knows or cares. Sure. So he agreed. And we got a team led by a Gold Star Mom. But do you know what a Gold Star Mom is? No. A Gold Star Mom is a mother whose uh, son or daughter has died on active duty. Oh, wow. Okay. So Sue Penny, whose son John Penny, was a ranger medic who posthumously received the Silver Star for heroism while he tried to save other rangers who was killed. She started picking up the phone and making phone calls. And when a Gold Star Mom calls you and says, I need you to donate a right. hotel room next weekend. <laughs> they do it. Sure. So she started making some things happen. And to the point where uh, Corey went on Robin Mead's CNN Salute the Troops show. Sure. Wow. And, uh, and his congressman called up and said, we want Corey to come to the State of the Union address. So we took Corey off the road for both and put him in a suit, flew him to D.C., and he got to <clears throat> sit in the top row and watch President Obama give the State of the Union address in 2012. Very cool. And then we brought him back out to the road, put him where he staked out, and, and sent him on his way again. And uh, and through that process, he got a stress fracture, and okay. so he walked okay. because he wasn't going to quit. Right. Until we got him a bike, and then he biked the rest of the way in. Very cool. And his goal was to be in Indianapolis before the Super Bowl. Okay. And he made it. Nice. So he started uh, right after the 1st of January, and it was the first weekend in February. Sure. So he did it all in a month. Very cool. And uh, even though we pulled him out. Yeah. And uh, we raised about $12,000 during that month. That's great. And most of that went to pay for his expenses. And uh, we got about, I want to say, 6,000 people that were following a page we set up called Run Ranger Run. Okay. And which is kind of a nod to the Run Forest Run. Sure, yeah, sure. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, and uh, and so we're we're sharing Corey's story, and we got him a a uh, phone that he could do some live video feeds, and and as he did this, he really struck a chord, and people came out and ran with him. We had American Legion riders that rode their bikes next to him, That's their great. motorcycles next to him. Yeah, it, it was a, a an amazing experience for him, and when he completed it. He, he did what I talked about many veterans do. He went into the everything is good, I'm okay mode. And while he was struggling tremendously and even was homeless for a couple of weeks, he did not tell me. Wow. Even though we were talking on the phone, uh, he would tell me how great things were while he was struggling. Wow. So he, uh, over the course of the next year, <clears throat> he, he went through a couple of jobs and finally decided, he was going to go to school where he became a, he got a scholarship as well, but he became an emergency room nurse. Okay. And cool. I was really honored last year to write a letter of recommendation for him. Now he's in law school. Oh, very cool. So, and, Interesting. and he is, his wife ended up, they got divorced anyway. And, uh, he's a tremendous single dad. And the following year, we, we thought, uh, later that summer, 
we have something here with what he did because sure. so many people responded to it and we don't want to let 7,000 people on a Facebook page go away. Totally. Um, what can we do to motivate and connect people and raise awareness for our mission? Because from the beginning, I have said, if people understand what the veteran issues are and they understand what Gallant does in response, then they're going to want to support us. Of course. Sure. So, um, so we set out to, create an event where 10 people uh, do what Corey did all by himself. Okay. So can you and nine of your friends in the month of February, and I don't know why we picked February other than usually it's an easy four weeks and you can measure it pretty easy. Right. Um, can, can you and nine of your friends walk, run, bike, swim, crawl, treadmill, stair climb, anything that covers distance. Can you guys all combined do 565 miles in the month of February? That's really cool. And if you break it down, yeah, you break it down equally, it's 56 miles a person, two miles a day. Sure. And and I'll tell you, it can be a challenge. Oh, yeah, I can imagine, yeah. And people to pull together and do that. And in 2013, we did the first Run Ranger Run as an event. And uh, we raised $100,000. Wow, that's really great. And it only cost about 5000 We used... Um, a social media platform to share what we were doing. And people just said, Hey, I'll give 20 bucks. Sure. And uh, so it's tremendously cost effective, but even more important, everybody that goes out and participates in run range run is sharing our message on their social media totally. and they're telling other people about it. No, that's great. And we, we just, we just, uh, we're in the middle of the campaign. Now we're starting our final week this Thursday. Right. And last Friday, we met our fundraising goal of $200,000. Oh, congrats. That's really great, man. Yeah, thank you. And uh, what's even cooler, though, is some of the stories that we have coming out of this. <clears throat> because we have people that have motivated their, their one of them uh, got his mother to get active. And Very cool. Got her to make a commitment to get out and start trying to be stronger for her grandchildren. Sure. And so we're, we're seeing things like this. They're not even veterans that are affected by it, that love the the team aspect and the sharing aspect. And so they're wearing Run Ranger Run t-shirts and they're taking selfies and they're posting them on Instagram and they're hashtagging them Run Ranger Run. And it is so cool to see all of these people from little kids to elderly folks that are out participating. And, uh, you know, you can have a team, you don't all have to be together because you can have a team of uh, a soldier walking patrol in Germany and a kid riding a bike to school and a grandmother on a treadmill in a Y, sure. they can all be on the same team. That's awesome. So That's really great. Tremendous. So I, I know. And, and what. Oh, go ahead. Keep going. Sorry. Well, I was going to say what happened is that influx of, of funding allowed us to become a real nonprofit. I mean, we were a real nonprofit before. Right. But now we're able to actually get a quality webpage. We're, we're able to, uh, when a veteran comes and says, hey, I, I'm, I'm going to have my phone shut off tomorrow and I'm waiting on a call back for a job interview. Can you help me? Sure. Yeah, we're going to pay your mobile phone bill for three months so we can make sure we can help you. you know, by the way, where do you live? Let's get you connected so that you have a network. Um, that, that's allowed us to do a tremendous outreach. And the first, uh, and I'm open about saying this, the first three Three years, I did not draw salary from the organization, and uh, and it got to the point where, hey, I'd, I'd been 
I wasn't working anywhere else. This was my sole mission. I don't have a military retirement. Right. And uh, my wife has a great job, so she's paying most of the bills. But it got to a point where now we have a board of directors of nine. I go to the board and I said, it's time to make a decision. You know, is this my profession or is this my hobby? Sure. Because if it's my hobby, I got to go get a full-time job and I'll do this on the weekends. Sure. And they said, no, absolutely not. It's a profession. So uh, for the next two years, I only took $35,000 in salary. Wow. And which was the amount that I, that was my starting salary when I left active duty in 1993. And, uh, and they have raised me since then. Sure. But uh, we have, now we have a team of eight. Wow. That's really great. Full-time plus, plus some contractors and some uh, part-timers that are helping. We're helping around 500 veterans a year right now. Wow. That's amazing. And, uh, we're raising, you know, thank you. We're, we're raising about a half a million dollars a year to do that. That's great. And we've done from, we've had to help uh, veterans go into month-long substance abuse and post-traumatic stress treatment. Wow. And that is not cheap. No, I can imagine. Um, yeah. And, and we have, we're incredibly responsive because we can make things happen quick. I had a phone call a um, week and a half ago. It was on a Friday from uh, a local veteran who works that, that I had uh, been connected with. He works for a company that does some outside work and they had just picked up a veteran and, and hired a veteran. Their goal is to hire as many veterans as possible. And this veteran was on the verge of being homeless. And technically he was because he was living in an extended stay hotel, Wow! but he had nothing and he needed $150, 50 bucks a day for the hotel through the weekend. And he had identified an apartment that if he had, about 800 bucks on Monday for the apartment, then they would let him move in. And then the company was working with him on his budget so they could make sure that he met his bills after that. And that day I I went to the bank and I got a cashier's check for the deposit. I, I got on the telephone, called the uh, extended stay hotel and paid with our credit card, paid for his lodging. So he was done. He was good through that weekend and, and for a start. And, and that gave him the little bit of a step up that he needed to now he's with a team. There's other veterans that work at this company. They're going to help him through this process. But most organizations you go to, you have a lengthy application process. You've got to have it reviewed by a bunch of people. And then maybe you're going to get it uh, approved. I can't say we can't do that all the time. I mean, sure. that's a perfect example that we're able to do it so quick. And we certainly can't afford to to um, approve and hand out money every time somebody asks for it. Right. But if the veteran, if there's a reason why they are where they are that we can identify and we can help them overcome, we're going to do everything that we can to help them out. Sure. You know, if they've just mismanaged their money. Yeah. If they've just mismanaged their money and now, now their phone's going to get shut off because they go to a bar every night, then we're going to talk about, what you need to do to get to a place where we are willing to help you with money. Sure. But if there's been something that has caused them to get where they are, that we can help them overcome and a little bit of money is going to help them move forward. We're going to make that happen. No. Yeah, no, I, I think that's great, man. But you guys, okay. You have this big run Ranger run event, um, you know, during the Mm -hmm. month of February, but you you guys do so much kind of more than that at, at Gallant Few, and you also have another company 
where you help kind of um, disabled veterans. Do you want to kind of maybe, because we're kind of coming to the end of the show and I really want to cover sure. some of this stuff. So can you maybe sure. talk about all the other stuff that, that you you do either with the nonprofit or, or the company that you're a part of? Yeah, thank you. Well, we're, we're a triage organization. So when a veteran comes to me, like the one this morning that called from New York, we want to know in a number of areas, there's five areas that we assess. Okay. Professional, social, emotional, physical, and spiritual. Where are you in, in a continuum on these areas and what can we put in place to help you get better in those areas? Things that you can use in your everyday life. Okay. And, and I wrote a book. I published a book last fall that's called Common Sense Transition. Okay. You can get it on Amazon and it's in, in Kindle as well as print form. And I lay out a blueprint in there for how communities can engage and help veterans come back. But the problem with the transition system as the government has set it up is it's a push system. Right. So they take all the soldiers that are going through transition at Fort Hood, they give them a class on transition, and then they send them to Los Angeles and Chicago and New York and wherever they're going to go live. Okay. And the things that you're taught in Colleen, Texas, may or may not be applicable in San Diego. Sure. So what works in San Diego? The veterans in San Diego know what works in San Diego. Sure. So we're a pull system. We, we want to connect and get that veteran connected with somebody local so we can identify, triage where they are, help them with their education, help them get connected. We have sub-programs that are set up within Gallifu that form around groups of veterans. The Raider Project, for instance, is focused on Marine Corps veterans. The Darby Project is focused on uh, Army Rangers. Wings Level is focused on the Air Force. And at some point, we may have a Navy program. Gallant Few picks up anybody that doesn't fit within one of those programs neatly. And, and, and our core, like I said, is connecting one-on-one -on -one and then identifying issues that need to be overcome and then triaging that to solve that. Um, you talked about uh, the disabled veterans or, or injured veterans. We work with any veteran, whether they have uh, an outwardly visible disability, something that's hidden that you can't see, or they served honorably, even if they have another than honorable discharge, if we can trace that discharge to something that is related to post-traumatic stress or a traumatic brain injury, we're not going to turn you away from service. Now, the VA turns away veterans that have other than honorable discharges because of the nature of their discharge, and we're not going to do that. We're going to take them in, we're going to figure out what's going on, and we're going to help them. Uh, if somebody's an axe murderer or a traitor to the country, we're probably not going to help them. Sure. But we reserve the right to to take a look at everyone that comes in. Um, my own small business is called Transitor. It's a small consulting business that really is me. And if I have to expand it out to fill a need, we will. But we can work with companies that want to better identify how to work with veterans. Okay. If they want to hire more veterans if they have veterans that work for them, that something's just not quite sinking correctly, uh, that veteran's probably not going to go to the HR director and say, I'm not comfortable because these noises make me jumpy or because something is going on. They're going to be quiet. They're going to suck it up and drive on. They're going to try and fix it themselves. And uh, if there is an issue like that, we can step in and we can help be a mediator with the veteran and the employer to resolve any issues that might be going on. No, I, I think that's that's really great. You also do a podcast and you have uh, an online newspaper. Do you want to talk about those two as well? 
Sure. Thank you. I, I do uh, about twice a month. I like to interview veterans who have transitioned successfully. Okay. And we call that the New American Veteran Podcast. It's available, the New American Veterans on Facebook. You can also see it on YouTube. Most people watch it on Facebook. Um, but I like to talk to, let's just say, a Marine Corps veteran who was in Desert Storm. Sure. And now is an attorney for a law firm in Denver. So okay, tell got me, you. How did you go from being an infantryman Marine to being an attorney that does environmental law in Denver? How do you how do you follow that path? Because there might be another Marine out there that says, well, if he or she can do that, I can do that. So we like to make those examples and then leave them out there. And then if there are groups or individuals that are doing really cool things on the behalf of veterans, uh, one example is uh, Dr. Carrie Elk and the Elk Institute out in uh, Tampa. Okay. She does some really cool work with post-traumatic stress treatment that involves high motion therapy and some other techniques that are not emotionally invasive, like what the VA does when they treat post-traumatic stress. And uh, she has really done some phenomenal work with some special operations, active duty and veterans that have gone through some pretty difficult things. No, I, and I think too, just giving people... Um, or being able to see somebody else that kind of was in your shoes go into something that they, you know, wanted to do and that they're kind of succeeding, right? And and they made it through it. It goes and back to the whole big brothers, big sisters example. Totally. And I, you have, go ahead, sorry. Yeah, you have an at-risk person, a person that's at risk. And you could say on the veteran side, you're at risk for unemployment, homelessness, and suicide. Sure. We know you're at risk for divorce, alcoholism. And if there's someone who was at risk for that, that overcame that and now is established in the civilian community, well, there's a path that you can follow. We call that an asthma. Okay. And most veterans get to do map and compass navigation so they understand what, a, what an asthma is. That keeps you on path. And when you stray off asthma, that's when bad things happen and you get lost. Sure. And, and our mentors, we call them a guide, they help get that veteran back on a good asthma. And the veterans that we help, we call them future guides okay. because as they transition, we want them to be able in the future to, to guide other veterans. Uh, I got to give a quick shout out here. I know we're running. Sure. No, no, no. We time. Keep going. Yeah. There, there's a, a couple of uh, organizations that have really engaged with us this past year, especially with Run Ranger Run. One of them is the Carrington Company. Okay. Carrington is, is a, a very large company that's nationwide but also has a charitable foundation and they incorporated run ranger run as a corporate wellness program for February. Oh, very cool. They are matching the miles that their employees do with monetary donations. And so they're putting their money where their mouth is. They're saying, Hey, you get out, walk on a treadmill or ride a bike. We're going to make a donation to this nonprofit to recognize your efforts. Very cool. And, uh, and that is really cool. And they have, they have 10 teams and that's a hundred people that are spreading the awareness message of Gallup Hugh, which is even more important than the, the donations that come in. And then uh, another company that has also put together a wellness program is Essler Corporation. And they're probably best known for Anderson Windows. Okay. And they, they have uh, a number of teams nationwide, and they're doing something similar, where they have pledged to match dollars that their employees raise. So in both instances, there's a great model out there. If there's a company, a corporation that would like to have a great wellness model, as you're talking 
after the holidays and you want to get ready for bikini season or just, you know, get a little in better shape, Run Ranger Run is a great way to do that. And, uh, and we have a group, <clears throat> finally, that uh, is led by a Marine Corps veteran and actor named Michael Broderick. Sure. And uh, it's called Vets Seen on TV. And they have a Facebook page called Vets Seen on TV. And it's veterans that are in commercials. They're, they play different roles. And maybe it's a well-known TV show or maybe it's a piece on a commercial. Sure. But these are veterans that are involved in Los Angeles in the entertainment industry. And Michael Broderick has an Army team and a Marine team within his team that are competing against each other. That's very cool. And uh, and. It, they're having a lot of fun. They're doing some videos that uh, they're pretty cool. Yeah, Carl, that's, that's great, man. Uh, like I, I wish we had more time to dive a little bit deeper into some of this stuff, but let's close the show with mentioning where people can get more information about kind of everything that you're involved in and any kind of social media links you want to mention. Sure. Thank you. Uh, our main website is gallantfew.org. How do you spell that just for people? Sure, G-A-L-L-A-N-T-F-E-W, so few like not very many, dot org. If you're military, it's Golf Alpha, Lima Lima Alpha, November Tango, Foxtrot, Echo Whiskey. (laughs) And uh, or runrangerrun.com is a great one to find out more about the Run Ranger Run campaign. And on all the social media, whether it's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, if you just search Gallant Few, all one word with no space between the T and the F, you'll find us. Uh, you can also support us through the Amazon Smile program. You'll find Gallant Few as a charity. That is a wonderful program. Everybody shops on Amazon. Sure. If you're not starting at smile.amazon.com, then you're leaving money out there because they don't take it from you. Amazon takes their profit and slices a couple of percents off and gives it to whatever nonprofit you pick. And every time you start at smile.amazon.com, that nonprofit that you select gets a couple of dollars. Yeah. And, uh, and Gallant Few is listed in there. Again, no space between the T and the F. Right. And, and then where can people get more information about uh, the podcast and uh, the newspaper and, and stuff like that? That's all at gallantfew.org. Okay, perfect. I just wanted to make sure. You know, that... our, we do, we ahead, have a sir. couple of... Uh, a couple of electronic newspapers. One is called uh, the Gallant Few Daily, and one is the Suisponte Weekly. And Suisponte is the Ranger motto that uh, basically says, "Of their own accord," or "I'm a volunteer." <coughs> Excuse me. So you can check those out at their uh, paper.li is the uh, the hosting site. Right. But we have links on all our social media to get to that as well. Perfect, Carl. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time of your day to be on the show, and I look forward to keeping in touch with you, and have a good rest of your day. Kevin, thank you. It's an honor to be here. Yeah, thanks very much, man. We'll talk soon. Okay, bye. Thanks for listening. Please visit the show's website at buildingthefutureshow.com. Also, check us out on Facebook at Building the Future Show, and follow us on Twitter at Building Show. The music for the show is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com and keep building the future.